the Bill Murray scene for me is when his when he's in the car and his lips go numb when he's going and he's driving. I piss myself real hard. Is that what you say in America? Do you say you pissed yourself? Only if you actually you urinated on yeah, yourself. Yeah, it's like, a literal. Yeah. It's a literal thing know, here. So yeah, I laughed incredibly hard, and a little <laughs> wee came out. I Look, David, it. don't try to fucking walk it back. Like <laughs> we all know that you fucking pissed yourself like a dirty animal yeah. while watching which this is, movie. Which is which is very strange because I'm assuming you watched it in your home, not far from a bathroom. <laughs> yeah, you, know, so you could pause so, like, it. Point, you know, like at, at that point, it seems like an active choice to piss your pants. Yeah, like, <laughs> this is some, you were trying to prove a point. Yeah, some sick little game you were playing with yourself. Just when patient Bob Wiley was making progress. Dr. Marvin, you can help me. Dr. Leo Marvin was making other plans. As of this afternoon, I'm taking my family on vacation until Labor Day. But Leo's vacation... ...is about to become... Oh my. Dr. Marvin! ...Bob's therapy. Oh, I really appreciate this. I do not see patients on vacation, ever. We just gotta figure out a way to work around your schedule. Two to four, three to five, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I don't want any of you letting Bob into this house. He's a sweet guy. Could we invite Bob over for dinner? Would you like some more chicken, Bob? Mmm. Mmm. Mmm, hey, this is so scrumptious. Mmm. Mmm. Will you stop that, please? Now, while Bob is getting better... Roses are red, violets are blue, I'm a schizophrenic. And so am I. <laughs> Leo is taking a turn for the worse. What about Bob? What are you doing with the rifle? Death therapy, Bob. You're listening to 30 Years Later. It's a podcast where every week we talk about a movie from 30 years ago. This week, this week, it's the Richard Dreyfus and Bill Murray movie, uh, What About Bob? Uh, which is amazing to talk about. I haven't seen it in a long time. And our guest, this I'm Chris Chafin. I'm one of the hosts. Also with me is Ricky Camilleri. Hey. Yeah, who was, can barely be bothered to say hello. So, like, that's just setting the tone right at the top, you know? I'm not going to lie. Scarface is not is in pause on the other monitor in my in my office right now because I was watching earlier. And it's just, it's, it's even, it's compelling even as a freeze frame of just a random shot in the movie. So you're saying I a, have to a freeze frame of Scarface was more interesting than me talking directly to you. Is that what yeah. you're yeah, Okay, fine. That's have fair. Have you ever seen Scarface? Yeah, it's fair. It's fair. It's fair. Um, our guest this week is my friend David White, who's a filmmaker and actor who, from New Zealand. He has a movie, This Town, which was recently at the Seattle Film Festival. It came out last year in New Zealand, where, David, was it the number one movie in New Zealand at some point? It was the number one movie for three entire weeks. Whoa! It's fucking wild, dude. That's um... fucking wild. Like, yeah. Crazy, man. I mean, it was during coronavirus when there were like no movies out and people were scared to leave the house. But like, other than that, that's not not, not in New Zealand. <laughs> we got we got we got kicked out by Tenant. 
Tenant was the movie that overtook. Can I just say we've talked about Tenant on this show? We both think it sucks so hard. (laughs) So like, and can we also say it's 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 never been better than when pronounced with your accent. David, uh, tell us a little, before we get into everything, tell us a little bit uh, about your movie. I've heard that it was slightly polarizing because you mined like recent New Zealand history to make a, a, a comedy, or is that overstating it? I, I didn't actually, in New Zealand, we have very few murders. And so there's one murder in particular where a person has been accused of killing his whole family, and it happened 20 years ago. Uh, and when I came up with this concept, uh, which is about a young man who's been accused of killing his whole family and then he is trying to get on with his life because he's been acquitted. And so he's, it becomes a romantic comedy at that point because he's like, hey, how do you get on with your life if you've been accused of killing your whole family? And in New Zealand, it's big news, right? Like if you kill your family, it's it's very large. You know, It's only kind of big news in America so, if you kill your whole family. Like it just <laughs> happens so much that like we don't really notice. <laughs> this is true well, that's like and, it's like a joke but very true uh and so it was polarizing for certain people because they didn't believe that uh you could come up with an idea without having mined that particular piece of history mm-hmm. uh where i would always say well um that that person who happened to be named david bain he doesn't have a monopoly on mass murder and then people wouldn't like that and so it became this kind of weird microcosm of people um, saying, well, you're lying about where you came up with this idea, which was completely infectual. Like, I really didn't think that it was that big of uh, New Zealand psyche, but apparently it very much is. So, yeah, that's what happened. But like, it's still, to be honest with you, people still came out and they still went to the cinema. So it didn't affect us that much. You know what I mean? How did people, like the loudest... how did people respond? Like, did anybody go see the movie expecting like an expose or like a journalistic, uh, like interpretation of the actual story and then were surprised by this comedy or did everybody, by the time they had sort of filed into the theaters, know pretty much know what they were getting in for. I think they knew what they're getting in for. Cool. Like it also has one of New Zealand's most famous actresses, and another comedy actress, like a person that was in Hunt for the Wilder People, Rima Tiwata, mm-hmm. and also um, Robin Malcolm. And so everyone kind of knew. I think that they were, I think people were, thought it was going to be much darker than it was. Um, and it definitely has its dark moments, right? But at the same time, I was making a comedy. Um, let's get let's get started. Yeah, great. Let's uh, okay, so as, as you said, Chris, we're talking about 1991's uh, what about Bob, which was released this week, uh, the week of May 17th, uh, 1991. Um, as, as we've started doing, we'll talk about a little bit about the other movies that came out um, this week. And fortunately for our listeners who don't like this uh, aspect of the show <laughs> that we added, only one other movie came out oh, really? this week. Great. So it will not be a long segment today. And uh, that movie is um, Mannequin 2, On the Move. <laughs> Uh, it was directed by Stuart Raffle, and um, it starred a, n- a number of people who I don't even know. They didn't get the original cast returning. <laughs> Christy Swanson was in it. That seems to be the only person that I can. And Ken Levine. I don't, um, I don't know who any of these people are. Yeah, actually, I think Ken Levine was the screenwriter. <laughs> um, it was Christy Swanson and William Ragsdale. Oh, my God. 
And uh, that's that's about it. Whereas the first one, I believe, was Andrew McCarthy and Kim Cattrall. Yes. But yes. Uh, yeah, this one um, had no one and no one cares about it. So the number one movie that week was What About Bob? Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's really no other options. Um, and so, yeah, this movie is directed by Frank Oz. It stars Bill Murray and Richard Dreyfuss, as you said. And initially, uh, they had taken it to Woody Allen because they thought because it's about an analyst and um, his patient and, ne- and neuroses that Woody Allen would be interested. And Woody Allen was like, no, I only do my own things because I need everything to be hermetically sealed around me because I'm engaging in criminal acts on a regular basis and no one can see it. Um, <laughs> so wait, there's, you're telling me there's a teen girl in this movie and she doesn't have sex with anybody? <laughs> yeah, he walked into the pitch meeting and he was like, oh, but what, what, what if Bob um, falls in love with the daughter? What, 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 I guess like, that would be really like interesting to see. Wouldn't that be interesting to see? Right, because he's like a father, I mean, a teacher figure to her. And I think that would be really sexy. Um <laughs> uh but no he he decided against it and robin williams was supposed to was initially tapped to play bob he turned it down and um frank frank oz wanted patrick stewart for the richard dreyfus character but uh the studio said no and they got richard dreyfus so it turned out to be richard dreyfus and bill murray and um the two of them hated each other wait 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 wait, before we get any further i'm just so I'm imagining so many alternate movies based on that description, like all these crazy combinations of people. I think this movie with Patrick Stewart in it might have been like hilarious. Like I think I might have really enjoyed that. Like, do you like? I, do you do you think that he could have done what? Percent. He just hasn't had the part yet. That's the thing. He just should have given. We should have given him the role, and then we would have seen him in all the broad comedies from there on out. That's the thing. Patrick Stewart, we could have had a different career. Uh, he did host SNL like Next in the early '90s once, and it was like it's one of them that's like not online anymore, you know. So it's like not that good. But some of the sketches are kind of funny. They, I mean, r- what Richard Dreyfus is doing in this movie is very broad sitcom anger at times, and I just feel like I've never seen Patrick Stewart, you know, like tense his knuckles and and yell and storm off in, in a scene you know it's all even when it's broad it's kind of it's it's kind of subdued and like a repressed anger right right but i think that might have given bill murray maybe a chance to shine a little more because it's like instead of playing against richard dreyfus who's like kind of a co-lead he's playing against like a cartoon of a british butler you know and like yeah maybe that would be fun i don't know I would have also liked to have seen Bill Murray try some of his onset bullshit with Patrick Stewart. I feel like it wouldn't have gone the same way. <laughs> so, um, but we should say really fast what the movie is is about for those who haven't seen it, which would be very surprising if you're listening to this podcast and haven't seen What About Bob, because I feel like What About Bob is sort of like what this podcast is about and it. for. Exists to talk <laughs> like about the, is What About Bob, yeah, 100%. Right, I, like the exact movie. <laughs> I had not seen it. Neither had I. Is this that true? The first time I, yeah, it's the first time I saw it was last night, and then I did some more little watching today in between some meetings. It was the first time I've seen this movie, so I had come into it cold. I didn't even look it up. I didn't even know the synopsis of it. <laughs> I just pressed play, and I watched those titles come in over each other, and I was like, man, I am in for a trip. Here we go, baby. <laughs> I, I watched Bill it with. Murray and 
I watched it with a friend and she grew up watching it all the time. It was like her father's favorite, like her and her father's favorite movie. And she was like laughing at every joke before it happened and then apologizing for doing that. <laughs> because like that thing that like I do it with people too, when I watch a movie that I've seen a hundred times, you know, like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm ruining the jokes for you. And then also like, <laughs> if I didn't laugh sufficient sufficiently being like, you don't like it, do you? You don't like it. And I'm like, no, it's fine. Like I'm enjoying this movie. It's also one o'clock in the morning on Sunday night and I'm tired, like, but I am enjoying the movie. It's fine. Um, but the movie is about Bill Murray plays a um, very neurotic, struggling man living in New York City, um, struggling with men many multiple mental health issues or what they refer to as co-occurring disorders. And um, Richard Dreyfus is a budding famous uh, psychiatrist with a new book on the way called Baby Steps that um, rightfully the movie rightfully pokes fun at how most psychiatry books are just completely idiotic. Mm -hmm. And um, he's an egomaniac and Bill Murray becomes his patient just as Richard Dreyfuss is about to go on vacation. Bill Murray follows him on vacation, much to the chagrin of Dreyfuss, who's got a big Today Show, Good Morning America interview. But the family falls in love with Bob as he seemingly um, gets better from his disorders while receiving a, a certain amount of love and appreciation from the family, yet Dreyfuss spirals into complete murderous insanity while having uh bill murray as bob around that's basically it right yeah yeah that's yeah that's good yeah yeah i think i covered it um my my first question for you guys is how did you feel about the depiction of bill murray's disorders yes. off the top of the movie oh my god well like definitely when i was watching it i was like Okay, so this exists in some kind of world where, like, a crazy person is a weird cartoon who, like, you know, like, everything that you could possibly be neurotic about, you know, like, he's afraid to touch the buttons and he's afraid to get stand next to somebody and, like, oh, loud noises happen and he starts crawling along the sidewalk and, like, screaming. Um, it definitely didn't seem like, you know, a realistic and sensitive portrayal of mental illness, I would say. Hey, I, like, I really struggle against being one of those people who takes a movie like this seriously in any way, because right. it's what about Bob from 1991? It's the music immediately channels like cartoon comedy in the nineties. Um, but personally speaking as someone who has been volunteering at like a suicide hotline that talks to reoccurring get like reoccurring callers on a, you know, daily basis. I just immediately was like this poor man. He's struggling so much. <laughs> He's having such a hard time. And I like couldn't laugh for the yeah. first 10, 15 minutes of the movie because I just kept being like, oh, he's struggling really hard. He's tr And he's trying. He's really trying so hard. But then the scene where he walks into the operator's office and is like, Bob killed himself 22 minutes ago or something like that, I was like, yeah. I laughed hysterically. And that's when I was sort of on board with the movie. But those first 15 minutes of him struggling and people making fun of him and not liking him. Oh, man, that is a very, very empathetic way of looking at this film. I know, it's stupid. It's really stupid. No, I, I adore you for that. Uh, whereas I was just like this, that guy's got a fish in a bag. Uh, all right, <laughs> we're on it. <laughs> we're here we go. And then it was just like the insanity of, for example, I'm a huge psychiatrist with a book about to come out. And then my mate just calls me and goes, hey, I've got a client. And then you just happen to have a space the next thing yeah, right like, i was just like 
all right well i'm just gonna give everything a pass now because that's obviously <laughs> would never happen you could have solved that with a quick line you had a cancellation so i booked him in but nah screw that that takes him too much time we need to get to the jokes boys the jokes we need to get to the right <laughs> and the idea that like richard dreyfus is not just treating like two millionaires and otherwise is just like working with his agents or something. like he's like taking phone referrals you know like on the day that he's going on vacation like give me a fucking break like never <laughs> right. yeah he has this like basically what looks like a corporate boardroom as an office like right. <laughs> looks like the g the general electric ceo's corner <laughs> office for this psychiatrist who's releasing his first book and he's like the villain in some movie he's like the guy that yeah. hires the assassin like he's got this crazy view of new york city this gigantic black desk and he's like oh you got some crazy guy okay sure send him over yeah yeah he looks like he's about to be gunned down by robocop or something like <laughs> yes. with that office <laughs> I was just like, you're, you're going to win a Nobel Prize. Have this guy, like, it was the mate. I was just like, that's why I was in. I was like, this is a comedy. I'm just going to, everything is away. Let's just see how this unfolds. That's how I was going about it. I, I was like the same as you, Ricky, and that I was overly invested in it. But I was, from the reverse side, I was like, Richard Dreyfus, he's got to go on vacation with his family. He doesn't have time for this guy. Like, this is ridiculous. Why is he, this guy is really like impinging on his free time. He's trying to spend time with his children. This is awful. I'm like, well, he just, oh, he, just absolutely. Has to, he just has to say no to this person. This is just ridiculous, you know? Like, oh, absolutely. I mean, he's breaking professional boundaries there by sh by like involving himself in his vacation, of course. At that point, it's like, I get it. It was really just those first 10 minutes of like, goofy comedy music over a man like not being able to get outside of his house and like that being like really funny after that it just becomes a com like a, a silly comedy between these two guys and i'm i'm on board but it was like those first 10 minutes of like you know do 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 and he's like you know throwing up trying to get outside of his house and crawling on the ground and like shaking and freaking out and being like my i can't control my bladder and i think it's gonna burst and i was like <laughs> Oh God, this is like very real. This poor man. I I really like this section too because I think it has a different because like you're saying, he's supposed to be improving in his condition over the course of the movie. But in this section, you get to see that he is like a manipulative sociopath who's like, he's like, seems genuinely unhinged. He pretends to be a cop. He pretends to, he fakes his own death. He's like bothering these poor switchboard ladies. And watching it again, like I, I am somebody who's seen this movie a hundred times. I was like, this is actually deeply deranged behavior and this is like i don't think bob is funny or cute at all i think he's a dangerous psychopath like this is how a no, movie about a murderer starts you know he's, like he's he's ill he is yeah he's he is, ill he's, he's like impersonating a police officer to get someone's address so he can go bother them you know like he's he's desperately searching for help he knows he needs help he's extremely ill and so people oftentimes people in those situations they act out, they lash out in, in, in the hopes that somebody will see that as a cry for help and, and, and help them. And it seems psychotic, yeah, but like, for it help, only like seems like murdering psychotic. a psychiatrist and his entire family, like a real classic cry for help. I just, I just feel like <laughs> I, that I can call Ricky at any time and he will just be like, oh, David, <laughs> oh, that's okay. If I turned up at Ricky's door, it feels like he would just let me in. He'd be like, yes, it's David. possible. 
Dude, you know, honestly, he probably would, yeah. is the fucked up thing, is he probably would. Oh, no, I'm excited by having this knowledge of someone. I don't know where you live, Ricky, but I'll find I will it. say... You just impersonate say, a police officer, and then you can find out, yeah. It would eventually be a disappointment, because I do have a low attention span, so off the top, you're going to be like, God, he's so empathetic, and he's listening so well. And, like, within 10 minutes or so, I'm bouncing around and, like, trying to clean my kitchen, be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, oh, you're feeling like you're going to kill yourself? Oh, okay, hold on, let me just see if I can move yeah, this over you remember here. When do you want to watch a movie? Remember when he was staring at Scarface on pause instead of listening to me, his very good <laughs> yeah, friend? Exactly. Didn't he just say, I am... Volunteering at a suicide hotline isn't that yes, yes? Yeah, you only you you yeah. have a time you have a time limit on those calls. Ooh. So in that time limit doesn't go beyond my. It's, and also you have to put everything away when you're in there. So like there's nothing to distract yourself. It is a time limit. Wow. Yeah, for for particular you're risk right. levels. Oh, yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. I've heard yeah. something new. This, but, this but David, you're right. Now. He does. David, you're right. He does like to mention that he volunteers at a suicide hotline. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I've never mentioned it on this podcast. Is that before. true? Have you really never mentioned it on the show? Never mentioned it on this podcast. I was saving it for what about Bob? <laughs> I I signed up to volunteer in November, knowing that in May we would be talking about what about Bob, and I'm like, that's a great movie to drop the 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 volunteer work that I do. And it's just like, what can you say to him after he says something like that? Do you know what I mean? Like, I can't, you, what can you, you just have to agree with everything he says. Like, I wanted so badly to be able to present myself as a really good person. Six months ago, <laughs> I looked for a volunteer work that would, mat, that would match up accordingly with a movie that it didn't seem like I was bragging or like trying to present. I was just like, it, they matched too it easily. No one could say, oh, you only up. brought it up for that. Re yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it, very premeditated I mean, on my it's part. It's genius. It's genius, Ricky. <laughs> um, so Bill Murray eventually, what did you guys think of the scene where Bill Murray dresses up as the detective though and goes into the... <laughs> The and he's like, they're like, what happened to Bob? And he's like, oh, he killed himself 20 minutes ago. <laughs> uh, and then I remembered that they used to have those rooms, right? Like the service rooms, which would used to take messages. Did you ever? You yeah. Know, and I used to deliver sandwiches to those rooms. So it brought back all these 90s memories of me delivering sandwiches to those rooms and me being like, oh, that's right. You used to have people that took messages for people like, Richard Dreyfuss's character, who I've forgotten the name of, and it's not written in my notes. Uh, and I was like, oh, man. <laughs> it looks like, I feel like it's like Lev Melman. I think it's Leo. Leo, is it Leo Spichemin? Oh, is that? No. I feel so much better that it's, I don't know it, because you don't, guys. Right. It, it is Leo, Leo Melman. Or Marvin. Marvin. Leo Marvin. Marvin, yeah. Leo Marvin. Goes on the book. Um, <laughs> what do you think, Chris? What did I think? I mean, it's funny, right? I laughed as well, but I also did think like I was starting at this point to get a little alarmed. I was like his his mentally ill behavior is reaching a crescendo where now, I mean, this like, have you seen compliance, Ricky? I mean, this is the territory we're dealing with here, you know, like the the movie about the uh, the guy that was calling the the fast food workers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a great movie. <laughs> but I mean, you know, like when you're at the when you're at the stage where you're barging into a room in uh, pretending to be a police officer in order to get someone's private address because you're deeply mentally unwell and you just are fixated on seeing them. Like, I mean, that is when you murder people, but yeah, I mean, I obviously know it's a comedy and I've seen it a million times. Like, yeah, that's, it's, it's a funny scene. It's Bill Murray. He's being funny. You know what I mean? And he's, he's Can I tell a... go ahead. Chris. No, 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 I got it. It's no, you go ahead. 
Can I tell a very quick funny story about the movie Compliance? <laughs> yes, please. A funny very story about topic. the movie Compliance. <laughs> yeah, this is great. So in in the year that the movie came out, or maybe the year before, I had a short film at the Maryland Film Festival, and Compliance was one of the headlining movies. And I saw it there, and it like blew my fucking mind. I just thought it was one of the best movies I'd seen in a really long time. And like sitting in the theater with that audience is just like chilling. You can hear a pin drop throughout the majority of the movie. It's it's a wild experience. And my ex, who I was dating at the time. Uh, she came to Maryland to see my short and I just wanted to watch movies the whole time. Cause I was at a, one of my first times at a film festival. All I wanted to do was just watch movies. And I was desperate to see compliance again. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen compliance, David, but it's basically about, um, a girl who's, who, who, who works in a fast food restaurant and she's getting these prank phone calls from this guy who's pretending to be a cop. And he is as the cop on the phone telling a fast food worker to frisk search and to tie up this female employee that she has. And he is basically like seeing how far he can take this, this manager. And it goes on for abusing. like 12 hours or something. Yeah. And, it's, and it's based on a real story also. Yeah. And not just her, but other employees there into abusing this girl that works there. And, um, I, I just thought it was so incredible and when my ex came to visit, she was like, oh, I'm with my cousin and this, my, the, my, her husband, like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm going to see this movie compliance. Do you want to come? And they were like, sure. And <laughs> I took them all to compliance. <laughs> and when the movie, <laughs> and when the movie was, <laughs> when the movie was over and her cousins were not there, you know, like our relationship was kind of nearing its end point, like soon. And when the movie was over, it was basically like a, they walked away and she like kind of turned to me and was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like rightfully so. You took my family to see that movie and you had, and you saw it yesterday. You knew. Oh my fucking God. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a pretty interesting film, right? Yeah, basically that was me. I was like, yeah, but it's good. Like, what do you want me to say? It's really good. It's, it's great writing. It's brand new. You're at a film festival. It's amazing. <laughs> like one of the most shocking movies that people have said of it has ever been made or disturbing movies ever made. And I was like, yeah, come on. Let's go watch this. <laughs> yeah, it'd be fun. What? It's called Funny Games. They're going to love it. What? It's amazing. <laughs> it's called Requiem for a Dream. It's about dreams, baby. Mm. Back to Bob. Uh, Bill Murray in What About Bob is, uh, it's kind of classic Bill Murray, but every I will say every line he does, I everything he says, I, I laugh. And there's all these big, broad moments in the movie, but my favorite moments are like just a simple look from Bill Murray. Like there's a moment where he's in the outdoor shower and they're like telling Richard Dreyfuss yes. to apologize to him. And Richard Dreyfuss just kind of like, looks over at him but doesn't apologize and bill murray does this weird hands in the air with shampoo on his hands and nods at him and i like that's the hardest i laughed in the movie i just thought the look on his face was so funny and that's that's to me that's bill murray and like the thing i, I don't think he really does broad big broad comedy that well i think he just is a naturally funny deadpan guy yeah, I mean, you, we, at the end of the day, like we're talking about the plot of the movie, but I mean, the movie is just about like Bill Murray 
doing Bill Murray stuff in crazy situations. Yeah. It's kind of it, it, actually funny you mentioned that scene in the outdoor shower because he's kind of making like Caddyshack faces at the first time they show him. He's doing when he's like washing himself. He's doing these kind of concentration faces that are like exactly like Caddyshack. Um, so it, it, the movie, it's kind of like a Caddyshack character, but it's because it's him playing like an idiot kind of, which he doesn't do that often. Um, but it's just like the movie lives or dies on whether or not you think it's funny to see Bill Murray being like a big, sweet doofus, which is like, it's pretty fantastic. Right. And a bunch of the movie, he's wearing this shirt that says, don't hassle me. I'm local in yeah. giant <laughs> neon letters. And it's like fucking amazing. But I think the movie begs the question, who is the doofus? Is it well, Bill Murray or is it Richard Dreyfuss? Well, this, right? Yeah, that's my question. Well, my question is, who's the protagonist? Actually. Well, yeah. Because I was like, I mean, I oh, think that's a good question. This, one of my, this is, I was like, one of the reasons I'm really interested in this film is because I was like, well, I don't know who the protagonist is within this film. And I find that particularly interesting because I'm like, well, Richard Dreyfuss just wants to go on a holiday and then bill murray is just trying to get better like i don't know and both of them are interrupting each other's lives so which one is the antagonist and which one's the protagonist but that said i will i will say it doesn't it's mentioned early on that richard dreyfus isn't very good at going on holiday with his family like his family doesn't like him they're annoyed by him and he's an egomaniac that's constantly talking about himself and he is like impatient with his child. So like as much as like the movie does this pretty good job of by the time you hit the halfway mark, you're pretty much on Bill Murray's side because while at the beginning you think like, Oh my God, he's harassing this doctor. You sort of see that this doctor is fairly self-absorbed and in his own way, he's like becomes self-obsessed and he's a prick. And he, he, there's so much of the movie where he's wearing like these crazy short shorts and giant crew socks pulled all the way up to his knees. And he just looks, he looks like a square in a cartoon, you know? And so then he becomes the antagonist because it's like, he just exists to get mad at at Bob, you know, like he's like, Oh, those kids. Like that's what he's doing the rest of the movie. Yeah. Except for like, I I don't know about (laughs) your childhood, but my childhood, my dad will never listen to this podcast. Um, Like, his character is trying to teach him how to dive you know like and yeah he accidentally yeah. drops him into the thing but i'm like my dad never did anything like that <laughs> like, I didn't, you know what i mean and i was like like at least he was there trying yeah. to teach him to dive yeah exactly and i was like yes but on the on the way to teach him he's walking out with his son yelling at basically yelling at his son being like i'm taking time away from what i'm supposed to be doing right now i'm trying to prepare for this interview and now I, i'm taking time away from it to help you dive so let's get this over with you should be diving already you yes, know like ricky not- the line you're leaving out is he says because teaching you to dive is as important as being on good morning america to me which i mean he doesn't really sound like he means it when he says it but he does yeah. say it which is you know that's something yeah like, like i just got yelled at so i'm like oh that kid's already up on me <laughs> and i'm trying to be funny here. <laughs> <laughs> oh and he's provided this amazing no, yeah, life for his family you know they live in no. his house like. <laughs> no but i but he was it, for me i was actually quite interested in this idea like for richard Dreyfus's character because by the end of it he is ends up being the way that he ends up being i don't know if i can say that that yet we haven't got you can see you can spoil it yeah it's fine yeah you can spoil it um but like i was like oh so this person has driven this person to be gaga 
And I'm like, well, now I feel sorry. Like that guy should have learned from Bill Murray's character that life is about hanging out with the family, which is what Bill Murray's character wanted to do, like Bob wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, he's now crazy and Bob has made him crazy. And then I'm like, well, now I feel sorry for that character by the end of it. And I was like, well, actually, that's kind of antagonistic of Bob's character. Yes, he's all better, but he's driven someone to insanity. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, right. Like, it depends on if you believe in, like, the essential humanity of Richard Dreyfuss or not. Like, (laughs) if you buy... If you buy into him as like a sympathetic human being, then yes, it is a horror movie. And like Bob exists to torment him and it drives him insane. He loses everything he has, you know? His- but if you believe in Bob's betterman and, and in Bob, it's a horror movie as well because Richard Dreyfus is locks him in an asylum at one time. He puts bombs on <laughs> him. He literally tries him. to kill yeah. him. It's a horror movie for either character. That's true. it's a very it's a very uh dualistic us style world where only one person can be doing well and the other person has to be like you know in the in the basement with the rabbits or something (laughs) and that and that is why i think it is interesting i'm like i don't get these movies no more like i haven't seen a movie like that in a very long time well it's really hard to do right i mean that's an incredibly hard narrative to 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 pull off yeah because both of the people have to be sympathetic and like seem like villains in the course of the same film believably and like seamlessly like it changes and you're not you don't even notice it's changing you know which is amazing (laughs) amazing that they pull it off but i think what they do do which is smart is right off the top they make richard dreyfus a bit of an asshole right like so it's like you don't necessarily He's got this office and he's got a row of his own books and in his office and he's going to stand over next to his own books while he's talking to his he's patient, got, you know. He's got a goddamn Sigmund Freud bust in his house <laughs> that he keeps putting up everywhere. You know, he's forcing his family to tell him what jacket to wear. His family hate like is just annoyed with him all the time because he's so uptight. You sort of want his world to be turned upside down and you do want Bob to get yeah. better. So the the story is that uh, Richard Dreyfuss and Bill Murray did not get along on this movie and that Bill Murray terrorized uh, Richard Dreyfuss. Richard Dreyfuss, right. Like there's a story about uh, apparently Bill Murray would get really drunk all the time and he would like come back to the, you know, wherever the cast was hanging out or staying or something. And so this one day he came back and he, he... walks in the room completely off his ass and he goes, Hey, I got a script revision. I think is really funny. And he walks right up to Richard Dreyfus and goes like, nobody likes you. You're tolerated. And then he picks up a giant glass ashtray and wings it at Richard Dreyfus's head. But he just like, just happened to miss, you know, like, well, Dreyfus has said that it's like one of the most unpleasant experiences he ever had making a movie. Oz said that there were tensions on set yeah, and that his, and in, in, in his, when he said there were tension on set, it seemed like he was alluding to the fact that it was kind of Murray 
Right. And, and it's we, around this time that Ramus and Murray stopped talking to each other because of Mur- Murray's behavior on Groundhog Day. Like they didn't talk basically until Ramus died. Like R- Ramus was on his death. And also on this movie, and, one of the producers is this was, uh, I, I forget her name, but like he, Bill Murray both threw her into a lake and like screamed at her and like broke her sunglasses in half and threw them and like threatened to beat her up. And like he just seemed to be a complete mess <laughs> the entire production of this film. Yeah, and he's also said when he talks about this movie that he improvised everything funny in the oh. movie. Right, yeah. Sorry, there was an audible right. gasp from David White when an actor was like, <laughs> I did it all, I did it all. I am the reason this yeah. is so funny. Yeah, spot off, mate. But like, he probably just remembers it that way because he was seemingly drunk and like maybe improvised a few things and then just got it in his head afterwards that he was the whole movie, that he did everything. You like know? everybody on this movie sucks except me. Like, yeah, I think one of his quotes from an interview from just like a year later is like, oh yeah, anything funny, I improvised it. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Man. Fuck you. Yeah, that's like, what when this? in actuality, the only, the only like evidence of improvisation that's been uh, backed up is the moment, which is a funny moment when Julie Haggerty is tucking the son and Bill Murray in and she goes to tuck Bill Murray in and he dives under the blankets to go into the other direction. Wow. Like that's the one thing that she has said he improvised. And I did think that was very it actually funny. made her laugh. I, so yeah, I was like, man, that's pretty good. I was down. Cause this is yeah. also around the time in the movie where like, uh, you sort of key into the idea that, Oh, Bob is supposed to be like 10 years old. Like, Oh, okay. Like now I sort of understand him. He's, He's not so much like a dangerous psychopath. He's just like a big dumb kid, you is know. It, do you think that's the moment? I was going to ask this question. Like, when when is your moment for you where it turns for you to start liking him? Like for you guys? Yeah. Was that, that for moment? me? I think it was then, right from the beginning. <laughs> Ricky just simply Ricky's just such a deeply empathetic person. Okay, so like. Right from the beginning, he uh, Richard Dreyfus embodies like everything that I hate. <laughs> <laughs> like in the char- in the character, and I've also famously do not like Richard Dreyfus. This came up in the Once Around podcast that we did, which I loved that movie and liked his performance in that. But I just have never liked Richard Dreyfus as a performer. But Bob's character, I just empathized with, and 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 you know, I don't empathize with an egomaniac who's self obsessed and doesn't really care about his patients and is in like the health profession. That's fucking evil. You're there, you're there to care and help people. And he clearly doesn't. He only cares about his own career. So I, right from the beginning, was all about Bob. Yeah, Ricky, I got to say, like, as somebody who does make my wife tell me which shoes I should wear with my outfits, like, I did deeply identify with this self-obsessed egomaniac. And I was, like, really wanted things to work out for him, you know? <laughs> he seemed to have built a great life for his family. And he was going to be on the Good Morning America. I mean, this is the result of all of his hard work. And I was really pulling for him, you know? Really? He cared so little about his patient. Who gives a shit? They're just marks, you know? They're just there to, like, build him up Ugh. and give him money and, like, help him get no, achieve what he wants like, to achieve, you know? He's in... Bob is in so much pain, you know? like he, Yeah, he and he's really happy to help. deal with that pain when he gets back after Memorial Day, you know? Like, that's... Yes, that I understand. Bob breaks a few professional boundaries. Yeah. I agree. He crosses some boundaries. But Richard Dreyfus is a cock. I mean, obviously, <laughs> like it's just, yes. yes. Obviously, he is a huge cock in this movie. And so, like, he's well, just... for me, I was like, when Bob decides that he's going to stay in town and he's wearing the shirt, 
you know, like the shirt that you mentioned, Chris, I'm not, I'm a local. I was like, that was the moment for me. I'm like, well, he doesn't seem so crazy anymore. He just seems like he's a little bit, oh man, this is a bit of a bummer, but you're trying to get better. And I was like, ah, he's like much funnier and much more empathetic. And I could forget about all the rule breaking. Cause he's just like, well, like, I don't need to, I don't need you to help me now. We're just friends now. Don't worry about exactly. it. Exactly. Right. You know, and yeah. like, it, it, actually, and there is a change in his character and the way, cause he's not constantly going to Bob. I mean, to the um, psychiatrist, you need to help me. He's just hanging out with the family. And so there's this kind of, actually, yeah. kind of interesting yes, moment. I agree. In this yes, because what he needed, I mean, and it's not everything that he needed, but what he needed was human connection. He lives alone. He can't go outside right. his house. He's scared of the world. He's searching for some kind of connection. And that's why he goes after these doctors because he's, he's now, he's recently divorced. His wife left him. Right. So he searches for these doctors who he basically pays to be some kind of connection for him. But then when he's told he has friends, he suddenly becomes an incredibly charming man who's very open hearted and very yeah. big hearted and open and open minded and willing to tell his stories and talk about his feelings and everybody's engaged and interested in him. Whereas Richard Dreyfus is a very closed off, nearly sociopathic human being. <laughs> well, it is interesting because right from the beginning with Bob and, you know, we're talking about who's the protagonist and who's the antagonist. I mean, Bob is in the first scene. Like it's not Richard Dreyfus. We, we, we open yes. on Bob, you know. And he is the, as open-hearted and kind and solicitous of his fish at the beginning of the movie that he then later is of the family later on. It's like you're saying, Ricky, it's like he just doesn't have any human connections, but he has that impulse to be like a deeply kind, sweet person, you know? And yeah, it's... It as, William, as, William, as William H. Macy says in Magnolia, I've got so much love to give, I just don't know where to put it. <laughs> That's Bob. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And it's in around this time you're saying David of like the shirt in the movie. It's like if Richard Dreyfus could have just like you know well, had a beer and relaxed and like just hung out with Bob, it, everything would have been fine. Everything would have been 100% fine, you know. Because Bob as it happens does save him during Good Morning America. I mean, he kind of steals the spotlight, but at the same time it's like Richard Dreyfus is choking and Bob makes the segment like great, you know, and everybody loves it. Oh, is that how you read yeah, that and he's... segment of that scene? Oh, I read that scene very differently. I was like... Oh, did you... oh how did you read that so scene? I was like, if Bob hadn't have been there, what would Richard Dreyfuss' character been like? Yeah. I was yeah, like, he, he's he got a real thing here. And, you know, like, he's practiced, he's by himself, and suddenly he's thrown into an awkward situation with this guy, and it's all very odd. And I was like, oh, no, I feel like Bob made him choke or made him be less whatever i think the movie is like i think you could definitely read it the way you're saying and i and i also think you're right but then there's also an element of like like ricky's talking about like he's such an uptight control freak and he's been obsessing about this and would he have just choked anyway because he's like so nervous it's so important to him and he can't handle it when it comes down to it because his family doesn't really seem surprised. They're like, oh, he's choking. Like, you know, <laughs> that's a thing that happens to him, you know? like. Well, it's really about who is able to, for lack of a better way to put it, go with the flow. Like be present, more, right? Like, right? Like be present. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Be present. When Once Bill Murray finds connection with, once Bob finds connection with these people, he's able to be present and fun. And once uh, Dreyfus's character can't find, can't, 
connect with anybody, he can't be present. And he becomes even more self-obsessed and even more neurotic and even more crazy and demanding of everything to be a certain way that it will never be. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Bob, I mean, that's the whole thing. I mean, this is like, you know, the movie, right? It's the duality of these two kind of character types, Mm. right? Whereas Bob is just completely in the moment all the time. He's just a real, you know, just always like very open and very nice to everyone. Whereas Richard Dreyfuss is like calculating, controlling, planning, you know, freaking out about things. Um, so yeah, that all kind of comes to a head in this, this scene, right? There is also a very, and, and this is actually when I disliked um, Richard Dreyfuss's character a lot, is when he gets the puppet out and does that very annoying thing with the daughter. Never brought up again in the rest of the movie too, which I thought was very strange. Like that is something that needs to be like circle that loop needs to be closed, but they don't, they don't do it. And as soon as he, I agree with you, as soon as that puppet comes out, it's like kill, murder this man, just put this man out of his family's (laughs) misery. He isn't, he's, he's fucking, he must, I bet he's molesting somebody somewhere. Like for him to have this puppet, that's in, that's, that's just a sign of pure evil. You know, like at that point, he is as evil to me as, um, Fritzl. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's it's real crazy like that one scene and then she has to put he forces her to put the puppet to talk back to him because he can't hear her i'm like oh no 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 and is that how you dealt i guess that's the moment for me i was like whoa this guy you're out she's an adult who drives yes yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like right. I'm, I'm not sure how old that daughter is supposed to be, but I'm pretty sure it's like 17 to 19. Yeah, right. And he's making her talk with puppets. But I mean, we as the audience are supposed to be having these feelings, right? It's supposed to be a sign of like, how what a fucking insane person he is. Because I think this was supposed to be a common therapy thing at the time. This idea of like using puppets to talk oh, about things. Yeah, right. Because you can't use yeah, them but it's like was it yeah 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 this is like supposedly I don't know if this, how much this actually existed but this is one of those like ideas about psychiatry that was like in I mean, pop I think culture like, at the time yeah but I think it's something that you do with like oh with like a child children. yes no yeah you you like yeah. basically hold the puppet up and you're like showing where he like, touched you yeah yeah exactly <laughs> did he touch you here or did he touch you here like that sounds. You don't go up to your 19-year-old daughter and and be like, "Why are you talking to me today? We need to be open and communicative." Why did you go sailing with this guy I don't like? Well, he went and got the puppets too because he was diving, and then he saw the thing, and so he had to go back inside. He's been carrying the puppets from the other home. <laughs> He's carried the puppets from New York to the lake house, then gone and got the puppets, and then gone to her, and then then you have gone and done that, and you're like. <laughs> But psycho. Oh my God, a hundred percent. One of the things that I love about this particular podcast is you talk about the budget. Oh yeah. Of this budget movie. was insane. It was forty million. Forty million. <laughs> forty or million dollars for like three locations in Virginia. Yeah. Like it was <laughs> right. There's there's like New York City. Walking through New York City, which is a great shot of Prince Street. Well, it got to be one day of of shooting like this at at Broadway and Prince, which is, and then and then his office, and then Lake Winnipesaukee, which was Virginia, forty million (laughs) dollars. I they must have been laughing to the bank when they were making it. 
like I just you know you you guys talk about it a lot and I think about the movies that I'm involved in and the budgets that we're dealing with now and the stuff that we're not allowed to do and then I look at that movie and I was like where did they spend the money I mean and then I was like I that's just what it cost I guess but we've all just been like screwed down over time and then it also made 65 million dollars yeah so it was profitable even though it was a like a calm a dark comedy with a 40 million (laughs) dollar budget it made money you know like i constantly because of you guys i constantly am looking at those films now in that and i'm also really interested you you know you've you've opened my eyes to a couple of things one of the things that you talk about is theme over plot which I think is really interesting. And I've been starting using that in my conversations with my film friends to make me sound real bright. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, I know, right? Uh, and then I was like, because even like that scene where they eat food in um, this movie for literally four minutes or three minutes of just Bill Murray eating corn and then chicken and then finally they lose it. I was like, oh man, no one would let me do that nowadays. <laughs> Like it would be, it'd be a very, why, why, what's what's wrong? Why, why can't you do that? Oh, not because of the money, just because it's like such a long scene. (laughs) I think what's this scene for? What, what, like, where, what are we, what's the story here? What are we serving? Is it moving the plot forward? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you've done that four minute scene. So Richard Dreyfuss can yell at him. We can do that another way. You know what I mean? But that's a huge problem, right? Because what's so wonderful about these movies and movies before it, and even just now, like before we started, I was watching Scarface, which I hadn't seen in a long time and a completely different movie than What About Bob? But there is so much atmosphere and there are, there's the scene where he meets Pacino meets Robert Loggia's character for the first time after like the chainsaw scene in the hotel and the scene between them and meeting Michelle Pfeiffer for the first time is like six or seven minutes long. And then they go to the club and they hang out at the club. And there's very little plot progressing there other than the fact that he's going to work for this guy and he's meeting Michelle Pfeiffer for the first time. But it's like 10 minutes in total of this movie. But it's really atmospheric and draws you in. And I feel like movies don't really get the chance to do that now because they're kind of becoming television where they're just trying to like process and pump out information as quickly as possible. But a movie should be atmosphere. That's what's fun about them. Right. I mean, it's like a film. It's supposed to connect you with a different, you know, experience of humanity or something. Like it's not just supposed Mm -hmm. to be like a a comic book. Right. I mean, even just in this movie, like we're talking about, you were mentioned Ricky, the scene in New York city, like, there was a they really shot on New York in New York City for this movie just to have like 10 seconds of Bob walking down the street and kind of getting a little bit of a window into his world like it just seems like way too much trouble to do these days like definitely not right yeah 40 million dollars that's what it buys you <laughs> i mean all the, of the things that you want there is a big effect the, I mean, in they, the movie though they they do blow up a 3 quarter scale model of the house i think like which is way too big if that's how big it was. <laughs> but even even that, that's not that much, you know, you can still do that for a lot less than $40 million. I'm pretty sure Dreyfus and Murray were probably getting oh, yeah. five or 10 each. Oh, yeah. Like, that's what's so crazy, eh? Like, you forget how much money they were obviously getting paid for these kind of what essentially are quite small films in, uh, like, scale, as in three locations, as you say. That's why they. That's why they become um, egomaniacs, Ricky. Oh yeah, because they're getting exactly. paid five million dollars to go to three locations. He did get ten. Probably took them twenty five days to shoot. He did get ten million dollars for Groundhog Day. I read when I was researching this. Like, 
so yeah, this is definitely the kinds of paydays he was getting around this time. For yeah, a Groundhog right. Day, and it's the same locations over and over again, you know? Like <laughs> And that that and that is all I had to say about it. I would just say I have been these are the things that I listen to thirty years later for and then I can pass them off as my own beautiful thoughts in New Zealand. But you also get movies that look different too with, with these budgets, right? There's atmosphere and there's tone, but you do get, there's a lot more people on set making sure everything looks a a very particular way and nothing looks rushed in this, in this movie. They had every light on set that they wanted. Yeah. Right. Like everything feels very lived in and natural and, I don't, it's kind of intoxicating in a way that you don't get from a movie these days because they have all these details. Like there can be so many long shots and that, you know, they're this beautiful house that they're living in. It's like, you just, it it feels very inhabited and lived in. Right. It's not Mm. just like tight shots on people standing in front of a brick wall, you know, like there's an, like right off the top, there's a feeling that's very inviting about the movie. And that's the score. Like it has a very big score you know, like that, the, it's not just sort of like one person on a synthesizer, which can be very cool, but it's like a fairly big score that they spent money on. And then all of the shots are very well planned out and at times complicated, even for this kind of movie that take, that require a crew. So the film immediately feels atmospheric and inviting rather than kind of like, I'm trying to do the work to decipher what the world is. You know, the yeah, world right. is established very quickly. Yeah. That's what money buys you sometimes. Mm. also um, you can get super so, fucked up at cast dinner every night and then you can go throw shit at your co-stars and toss the producer in a lake and it fucking rules nobody can do shit about it um i bet still everybody liked him on set more than richard dreyfus even while he was acting like that dude see the thing is when he yelled at richard dreyfus you are tolerated i was like i bet he's right i bet he's a hundred percent right like I bet he also said it in a very funny way. I bet he was like, you're tolerated. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody likes you. (laughs) You're tolerated. And then he like threw the ashtray. Oh my God. Um, The three questions. Yes. Let's do it. All right. Three questions. We got three, three questions. This is the hot seat. Uh, 30 years later hot seat Uh, first question um, David is what was your favorite part of the movie hot seat oh no it's the I've already said it it's the moment where I pissed my pants which is when (laughs) Bill Murray is the I, I don't know why I love that scene so much I was just like this is a very good piece of comedic acting when his lips slowly get number and number and then his voice starts to change and I was like it's very funny and I'm down and there's nothing. He's not doing anything malicious as well. And he's growing in his character because he's going to go sailing and he's trying something new. So there's like, there's nothing malicious around any of that stuff whilst also being incredibly funny. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's great. Yeah. Mm. I like that. Chris. Uh, well, okay. So this is like a long meandering answer. So strap in everybody. Like one thing I wanted to bring up before I didn't bring up is like, so looking at this movie, like Bill Murray is like this kind of child man and Richard Dreyfus is this like very successful psychiatrist who's got the white hair and a white beard. 
right? And there's this kind of dynamic, like high status, low status dynamic between the two of them. But I did look it up and uh, Richard Dreyfuss is only three years older than Bill Murray, which is like really crazy. Like you would not guess from watching the movie. And also when he made this movie, Bill Murray would have been one year older than me currently, which I was like, he looks like shit. He looks like absolute dog shit in this movie. Like his, like he has these awful, you know, acne scars on his face and his hair. Wait, is awful. how old is he? He's forty the, the years old. When they shot this, yes, <laughs> that's Get amazing. The fuck out He's of here. forty years old. He was born in nineteen fifty. This movie was shot in nineteen ninety. The seventies were wild, dude. This guy is not living well. <laughs> this is a very ill man. Like. Um, but so this is just to set up like, so, okay, like, look where I am in life. Like, I'm just kind of trying to justify what I'm about to say, which is like really my favorite. I, you know, I'm, I'm 39 years old. I have a young family. Like I'm trying to accomplish things. And so like, really my favorite thing was just like the beautiful lake house that Richard Dreyfus has and his like beautiful family. And he gets to go to New Hampshire for a month on vacation. I was like, this is literally everything I want in my life. I want to take my family to our beautiful lake house. And I, it was like, I couldn't, this is why I was so against Bob the whole movie. I'm like, you're fucking up this amazing life that Richard Dreyfuss has made for his family. Um, and I, I was just like, it was like crack to me. Honestly, I could not get enough of this shit. You need to check your mental health privilege, bro. <laughs> Your life is fucking easy compared to Bob's. I know. What if my life started to be hard? Wouldn't that be awful? <laughs> like, <laughs> Bob is in pain. Yeah, and you got to keep those people away from you. They're going to infect you. <laughs> like, So you can go on vacation? Well, look what happened to Richard Dreyfus. Did he not or did he or did he not get his life ruined by this person? That was going to happen to Richard Dreyfus whether Bob showed up or not. I mean, Ricky, these are unknowables, you know? Like, I don't know. Eventually, Richard Dreyfus was, his facade was going to crack. I don't know. Have you heard of Dr. Joyce Brothers? Like, I think he had, like, a lot of runway before his shit collapsed, you know? Have you heard of Dr. Drew? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dr. Drew does the world's most deranged shit, and he's still rich and famous. Like, So, uh, what was my favorite part of the movie? I'm so glad that you asked, Chris. Thank you. Uh... I, I'm honestly, it's it's very small, but the scene where Richard Dreyfus looks at Bill Murray to apologize and Bill Murray just nods was the hardest I laughed in the movie <laughs> and I think was my favorite part. But on top of that, I will say my other favorite part, which I didn't know until David asked the question of who was the protagonist of the movie, is how ambiguous the presentation of protagonist antagonist is. And I think I took that for granted while I was watching it, but it's a really difficult thing to navigate that the movie ends up doing well. Yeah, so, yeah. I agree. Um, the second question we ask is um, because our podcast is called 30 years later, every movie is going to take place in the nineties because for the next nine years, it's going to be <laughs> the nineties 30 years ago. Uh, so what was the most nineties thing about this movie for you, David? Well, I, this is a thing. It's probably still a thing that happens now. It just doesn't happen with my father, which I'm very happy about, which is um, the high shorts <laughs> with the very pulled up socks. And I'm like, I wondered one day, I was thinking about this today, and I was like, at what point did my dad just go, hang on a tick? I don't need to pull my socks up, <laughs> my calves. 
And I was like, it probably was actually around the time I was 18, 19, which is the year 2000, which is when I left high school. And I was like, that was a 90s thing for my life. And so when I saw Richard Dreyfus doing that thing, I was like, huh, my dad. <laughs> Like that. You know, was that something that people felt like they had to do, or was that just that tube socks were really the only sock? It is <laughs> true. There was not the a time. lot of sock selection at the time, and you either yeah. had to have them all bunched up at the bottom, or you pulled them all the way up. <laughs> it's like, although David, I'll say, like, I think, like, especially you, like, I think you could just start dressing like that, and it would be very cool right now. Like, that's true. If you started wearing white shoes, white socks pulled all the way up to your knees, and tiny, tiny white shorts. Like, I mean, it's pretty fucking hip. Like, that's that's like very on trend right now. That's what I mean. Like, I think that I think it's a '90s thing because of my dad, whereas I think it probably is a thing that people do now, and also probably some men still do it. I don't know. But it's definitely the it's definitely the nineties memory for yeah, me, 100%. and that's not a bad thing either. I was just like, huh, fascinating. But Richard Dreyfus does pull those pants up very high, <laughs> like it is. They are very like my dad never did that. I was like, they are. That is a costume choice. Uh, he's you don't do all those squats and then not pull those pants up that high. I mean, come on, like you know, like he's <laughs> he looks like an idiot. <laughs> like he, he looks. Is, I, I mean, I think the costume choice was like, you're an adult, but we want you to look like someone that everybody, including teachers, wants to shove in a locker in middle school. I I agree. Like your wife hates you, you, your children hate you, like everybody who lives in the town hates you. Like, Uh, Chris, what was the most uh, 90s thing um, about this movie for uh, you, Chris Chaffin, co-host of the podcast 30 Years Later? Yeah, thank you for that great introduction, Ricky, and for the question. I do appreciate it. Um, I think... Oh, get to the answer, will you? Fuck you! Um, No, I do. We've kind of touched on this a little bit, but I think the very particular way this movie touches on psychiatry, which is like, it's a sham way that people get really famous. It's a huge part of the culture. Maybe it's kind of real, but also mostly it's made up nonsense. And like, you know, like crazy people are just like weirdos, you know, it's this very particular. Yeah. Like I was saying, I mean, they mentioned Dr. Ruth in the movie, but Dr. Joyce brothers, like all this kind of stuff, like this was huge, huge, especially in the late 80s early 90s and i think this picking his occupation as famous psychiatrist is like extremely 1990 yeah yeah i'm all i was it happens in woody allen movies a lot as well but my uh experience with psychiatrists and therapists in particular who are not necessarily doctors they're not like they're not brain surgeons they're not very they're not incredibly well off (laughs) Like they do well, the th- but they're not. This is the thing. You know, I think is at the time of the movie, this is like it's like a huckstery way to get rich quick is to like be a famous psychiatrist, you know? Yeah, but it, it's just like you don't make that. Even as a doctor of psychiatry, you don't make. Eventually, you can, you know, when you have like a very wealthy roster of clients. But as we said early on, like. Bill Murray's character is not wealthy and he takes him immediately. He's like, yes, I need clients. Yes. Okay. So of like, course. I'm not sure. I'm not sure where he's getting this lake house with his bag of money. That's referenced by the locals and this like corporate office, you know, that he's lording over this like big corner office and some office building in midtown. Um, but yeah, the movie seems to suggest that he's just like wildly wealthy. Right. Yeah. I mean, he dresses like this. somebody, I mean, his whole, uh, aesthetic is like generational wealth, 
But, you know, that is, it's just supposed to be from being like having one book, which again is a very 90s thing. He has one book, so he's the world's richest man. That hasn't even come out yet. Like, I know advances were much bigger then, but were they that big? I don't, I don't know. Not for the first book. So. I don't think so. Um, I'm going to go for the most 90s thing about this movie for me was the score. There is something about the score of the movie that feels very particular, like 90s comedy, kindergarten cop style. Fish Um, called Wanda, right? Fish called Wanda or like Mrs. Doubtfire. They all have sort of like zany. um, Yeah, Yeah, they're all like matching the way that the characters walk, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I'm going to go with the, the score of the movie. It's the most 90s thing. Uh, last question is, um, it's been 30 years since this movie came out. We, uh, I think we, we've taught, hit on this already, but obviously there are certain things that we have grown out of that this movie touches on or is about or entirely. What are some things that we've grown out of that this, uh, that this movie does? Opening titles that overlap. <laughs> and I feel like that's a real... Lame answer. No, I think that's <laughs> good. And it's funny because you mentioned it earlier. You were like, oh, when I saw those titles overlapping, and I was like, oh, I know exactly what he's fucking talking about. It was weird, right? <laughs> but I will yeah. say, few movies that have done the overlapping titles really well, right? Total Recall does really great overlapping titles. Cronenberg does overlapping titles often in his movies, and they look, they hold up and look pretty good. But yeah, these don't look that great. And can I say the... Yeah, but they, we, but we also have sort of stopped doing them, right? That is yes. true. We've yeah. outgrown that. That yeah, is true, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I was like, mm, this is not a great... I was just like... Mm. And because they also, they stop overlapping them halfway through the title sequence. Like <laughs> yeah. you get to a point and then you're like... And it's like having two fonts. So I was like, well, what just happened here? You've stopped overlapping them. Fascinating scenario <laughs> that you've just done there. Good work. They just... Uh, but maybe we can circle back and see if I've come up with a better answer after you they guys. They just lost confidence, well, we've obviously, also, David. <laughs> like... We've also outgrown, I mean, the the, the title <laughs> sequence in gen- the opening title sequence in general. There are no opening title sequences anymore with the, unless they're like over the movie already started. Yeah, this There's is like, no, it's like... a fish against a black background swimming around and eventually it's revealed it's Bob's fish. But the entitled, the entire title sequence is a f- goldfish swimming around, mm-hmm. obviously in a studio, like lit very expensively against a black backdrop. And it's like, what is happening in this movie? Is, is the fish going to be a really important part of the movie? Like, no, no, not at all. Do you know what's amazing is I don't even remember when the title... Uh, of this movie comes up. It's just at some like point I, during this fish swimming around. Like there's yeah. nothing happens, yeah. you know? Yeah, but I was like, I know all the names of these characters, but I did not, I, like, as I'm trying to remember, I'm like, I remember the fish, I remember the Bill Murray, I remember the names, but I don't remember ever coming up with the title of the film. I've, so I've blocked it from my memory from 12 hours ago. <laughs> Um, Chris. yeah, uh, for me, I think this is kind of a weird answer, but again, I'm just, again, I'm just fixated on this house that his family lives in. There's a whole thread running through the movie that, um, one of, one of Bob's early allies in the town are the people that own the diner because they wanted to buy the house. And they're so mad that Richard Dreyfus came in and bought the house with the bag full of money. They're like, we saved the whole, we saved our whole lives to be able to afford our dream house. And he swooped in with a bag of money and bought it. And I, as I was listening to this, I was trying to imagine a movie in 2021 
acting like a rich person doesn't deserve a nice house. And I was like, I don't think that would happen. Like, I think that's a pretty alien idea to film at this point in time. Like, like, Oh uh, no, if a rich person can have anything they want, like I, what it's somehow immoral of him to buy the house that he can afford. Like, and I'm not saying I agree with this, but I'm just saying, I think this is an idea that has passed out of society, that there's something shameful and bad about being rich. And that like, you're somehow exploiting people and you don't really deserve to be able to buy the things you're buying. It's like, I don't know. I don't think that's I around. Think I disagree. I disagree with, with, with your opinion. Fine. And I think, well, fuck I think off, Ricky, fuck off. Like, <laughs> I think that your opinion is like, um, is dated and it's become, and it's become shameful once again to be wealthy. Do you like, as of when? Like, like two or three years ago. Do you, so you think that wealthy people are bad guys in the movies again? I don't know if wealthy people are necessarily. I mean, wealthy people are always bad guys in movies. Well, it just thing. doesn't I translate don't think to they reality are as much anymore. I, I don't think they are as much the bad guys in movies. I think I I think that they are. I mean, it's not like you can't you can't have a wildly wealthy person. I mean, look at Samuel L. Jackson in um, I mean, uh, not the 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 gentleman movie. There, what is it called? The 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 movie. The gentleman. <laughs> the, not the gentleman. It was it, it's Matthew Vaughn, the guy that did Kick Ass, and it's with um the British kid oh, that played uh, Elton Kingsman, John. Do you mean Kingsman? Yeah, yeah. In the Kingsman, he's like a wealthy guy who is like Who's trying to stop guy? climate yeah, change okay. by like killing as many people as possible. And then, the, I mean, it, that's I guess maybe a partic- an egregious example of it in a way. But but the I, idea I that like that... you couldn't buy a like a rich person like he it's, it's bad that he bought this house. Like I just feel like. I feel like we're the opposite direction where everybody lives in houses like Richard Dreyfuss's in this movie, but it's uncommented on because it just isn't natural that everybody lives in places like this. Whereas in this movie, it's some, there's some kind of like class commentary thing baked into it, which is like, that would not come into it if that wasn't the entire plot of the movie, you know? Well, you can't actually shoot in the homes or apartments that most people live in that are realistic because every movie would just look like cluttered shit because nobody has any fucking room. Yeah. I've been to your apartment. You know? Ricky. I know what you're talking so about. So Therefore everybody has to live like a, everybody has to be like living like no matter what their class is, they have to live in like a wildly wealthy place. Uh, I mean, at least when we look at it, like where the, how the fuck did they get that apartment? Yeah. Right. Like what was yeah. that? What's that show? Everybody likes with Nicole Kidman where it's all about rich people living in big houses, big little, big lies. little lies. Yeah, exactly. Is the lie that they're rich? I never watched it. Fancy? I don't know. I, don't know. I, don't I know. think people just know. like pretty houses. I don't know. Um, Ricky, yeah. what do you think we've grown out of? Um, I, I think the treatment of psychiatry, you know, I don't think, like, I don't take it seriously in this movie. I think it's very funny, but I don't think you could make this now. No. Well, I, I don't think, think you could make a, a goofy comedy about a guy with, like, multiple uh, mental illnesses. Yeah. No, I agree. Because he would, he, Bob doesn't have any kind of real or identifiable mental illnesses. He's just like kooky. I feel like, yeah, if we made it today, he would have to have something. Like it would have to be realistic in some way. Well, that's not true. I mean, uh, um, Dreyfus diagnoses him. But he doesn't, he just say, like, you've got extreme crazyoidness. Like, isn't that like his diagnosis? <laughs> Uh, multiphobic personality characterized by acute separation anxiety and extreme need for family connections. 
Oh, I actually has a pretty good diagnosis. I take it back. That is yeah. that is a dead on diagnosis. But she, it actually sounds like he knows what he's doing in his job. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's the one time no, in the movie. He should be. Yeah, it sounds like he should be having a book and he should be rich. Yeah. Because he's very he's met that guy for forty five seconds and he's like, oh, I know what you've got. It seems like he could help yeah, a lot of people, guy. maybe, if he hadn't had his life ruined by this <laughs> psychopath. Like if he wasn't such a dick about if it. If he didn't wear dumb <laughs> shorts. True. Again, the shorts. He deserved everything he got. (laughs) You wear shorts like that, tube socks pulled up, blowing up your fucking house. house (laughs) He blows up his own house. He does it to himself. Um, guys, I I think that's it. What do we think? That's one hundred percent it. David, thank you so much for joining us. The film is this town. It's on topics streaming soon. So please watch. Why do you say that sarcastically? I, I don't know. Promote I, was, his I was trying film. to say it in like Genuinely. an announcer voice. Let me do it again. Let me do it again. He's our guest. Let's do it like a real human being this time. Um, <laughs> what was that? It was like, fuck off. Shut up. No, it was bad. Shut up. I get it. I, I understand like it was guess. bad. Uh, you're like the Dave Foley character from Kids in the Hall. All right, I made a mistake. I'm not being sarcastic. The film's mi- just on topic. I made a mistake, Ricky. Like, please extend to me this courtesy. <laughs> Um, <laughs> David, thank you so much for being our guest. It's great to see you. I mean, honestly, like it's been too long since we've seen each other. Like, it's so nice to get to okay, talk to too you. Too much, too much. Take it back. Take it back. It's go. It's too much now. <laughs> hey, so our guest was David White. This town, you can stream it on Topics. I think David was that it. Topics. I, mean, I wasn't really paying attention. On, on the yeah, I think it's on Topics. <laughs> I think it is. It's on Topics. <laughs> it's on Topic. Oh, cool. It's on Topic cool, May twentieth. Cool, cool. So so this week. Cool. Uh, David White, our guest, thank you so much for coming on and talking about What About Bob with us. Uh, your film is called This Town. It's coming to Topic uh, streaming channel on May 20th uh, for everybody that wants to check it out. You can stream it there if you have a membership or uh, I believe there's a link there, as David said, where you can uh, you can rent it through through Topic as, as well. David, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thank you for having me and thank you for opening my eyes to What About Bob. Uh, and thank you for doing this podcast. I will listen to it whenever it's on, That's whenever great. my phone tells me it's on. <laughs> That's how you fucking do it, Chafin. <laughs> it's like from the way you did it, I just knew it's like that was the take, you know? Like.